Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. We're excited to dive into week two of our collection of talks for the sake of eternity. We believe that if we don't keep the end in mind, we won't understand the weight of our present reality. Eternity can be a hard concept to comprehend. What is it? What does it look like? How do we get there? The truth is, God designed us to live life with an eternal perspective. His plan is to bring heaven to earth, and He chose to partner with us to accomplish this mission. The church is God's embassy on earth. To discover how you can help impact eternity through generosity, visit vuchurch.com vision. Remember, God isn't just getting you to the other side. He's giving you strength in the middle. Let's lean into the message together. I want to look at uh, just a couple of verses today from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's going to be our text, starting in verse 16. And if you got a Bible, uh, tell me if you're there, say, I'm there. That's, that's very quiet, so it's going to be okay. I got a big Bible up here on the stage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, which is always in conclusion, he's been teaching the gospel. He's been teaching about what it is that they believe. And now he's saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Someone say an eternal glory. That far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And we are in a collection of talks entitled For the Sake of Eternity, and today is part two of that collection. And I want to preach from the subject, keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind. Last week, we started this collection, and this is more than a collection. This is really a prophetic statement. I I really feel like this collection that we are in is not just special. I would use the word, it is sacred. The reason why is because every year, at the end of the year, uh, we come to our church and we challenge our church in what I call a faith exercise. Um, We are marching our way towards December 12th. You just saw today that this week we gave away $50,000 to the foster care system. Can we thank God for that? Come on, I'm gonna need you to actually celebrate like we're excited about being generous. And before December 12th, we're going to have given away $500,000 to different local partners and church plants, and every week we're going to be telling you those stories. But this collection ends with our very own faith exercise on December 12th in what we call the Bricklayers Offering. And the Bricklayers Offering happens one time a year, and it's an offering that is designated to accelerating the vision. And so last Sunday, I, I took some time explaining and defining our vision for the next 12 months about where God is leading us. If you love Vu Church, if this is your church and you missed last Sunday, I would encourage you, go and listen to that message or go and watch that message. I think it's really important that you know where we're headed. But since we started this church, we've always had this little mission in front of us, which is to bring people who are far from God close to God. 
Yet this year, the way that we are working that out is with this prophetic statement entitled, For the Sake of Eternity. And for the sake of eternity is the theme and is the phrase that is in our hearts that God is calling us to walk out this year, that we would understand that everything that we are doing in our church, it has eternal ramifications attached to it. Somebody said amen if you believe that. This is so very, very important that we understand that our reality is shaping our eternity. You know, as a leader, um, I, I like to believe I'm somebody who, who desires to grow. I want to um, get better in life. Wave at me if you, if you, if you want to get better. Come on, wave at me. Just, okay, a few people. I, I, thank God we got, we're in the right church today. <laughs> wave at me if you're just done growing. No, stop, you know. <laughs> That's me. Um, I, I want to grow. And like, I actually, I, I think we can learn from anyone and everyone. I, I like to believe about myself that I'm a, I'm a constant learner. I love reading, uh, especially in the category of leadership. And almost every year, uh, for many years now, my all-time favorite leadership book, I try to read it every year. And it's not a Christian book, so don't, don't come at me. The Bible, of course, is number one. But, but, but the other book that I really like practically is this book entitled Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Leader. And it lays out these different habits for leaders. And one of the habits is this idea of starting or beginning with the end in mind. I think that's really important that we as the church, we as God's people, that if we're gonna talk about for the sake of eternity, how many of you know, if you don't believe in eternity, then this entire collection doesn't have any value to your life. We, in our faith, need to keep the end in mind. We actually need to know where we're going. The entire habit that he talks about in that book is the idea of visualization and imagination and understand that when you start a project, you know how you want the project to end. Right now uh, in the design district, uh, our city location is back at JDD. Make a little bit of noise, JDD. Come on, Somi, join them. They're back in our original stomping grounds. And the reason why we're at JDD in this time is because our design district location right now is being built out because Art Basel is just two weeks away and Vu Church is opening up an art exhibition with Virgil Abloh entitled Divine Design where we're gonna be planting seeds of the gospel all during Art Basel week. And be on the lookout because there's all sorts of scheduled events and I think you need to make it over to one of the events. There's some really cool stuff happening. But the team this week, they sent me uh, this video that right now you can go onto YouTube and you can watch this 24-hour live feed. In fact, it's on right now. It's a 360 camera of what is happening in that space because they're wanting to show the world the process of building out the space. Now, now what's fascinating, it's kind of fun right now because as you go and you look at that space, it is a mess. There's an artist in there right now, our good friend Tiago. He's in there and he's painting and there's splatter paint everywhere. And I walked over there the other day and I walked and I was like, oh no, this is not, this ain't it. You know, this is, this is a mess. But it's only a mess if you don't know the end product. It's only a mess if you're missing the blueprints. It's only a mess if you've never looked at the plans. I would never recommend anyone to go into an 8,000 square foot space and just go, go have fun, just create. No, no, no. You need to actually have 
an end picture in mind. I'm grateful for our team. They got blueprints. They got plans. They have art direction. We need to realize today that the end matters because we're building towards something. We're working towards an end product. This, by the way, is a great picture for your life. This is why we need to put our trust in God. He is the master builder. Some of us right now, our life looks a little bit messy, but next time someone comes and judges you and say, your life is a mess, you ought to say, please excuse the mess. My life is under construction and the master builder, his name is Jesus Christ. He has blueprints for my life and I got a feeling he knows where he's taking me. It might be a mess right now, but I'm telling you what, I'm under construction. Our faith, is absolutely, it is absolutely so important that you know how the story ends. Because I can get up here and say, for the sake of eternity, but if you don't even believe in eternity, there is no value in this collection. And so I thought for today that I would, I would talk to you about the end a little bit. The theological word for this is the word eschatology. Now, maybe don't get intimidated by the word. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it really simple for all of us today. But eschatology, by definition, is the study of last things or, or future events. This is the idea of what's going to happen. How does Jesus return? What happens to the church? Heaven, hell, what are all of these things? It's important that you as a believer, that in your faith, you keep the end in mind. Why? Because my eschatology will always shape my missiology, which is the mission of the church. If you don't have the end in mind, you will not behave properly on this earth. Here's a great way of looking at this. Write this down. What I believe about the end will impact what I do with where I am. See, the reason why we're challenging our church to give above and beyond, it's not just to build a parking lot, it's not just to build a building. It's not just to do fun projects. The reason why we are giving lavishly is because we understand that everything that we have is temporary, but when we put it into God's hands, that which is temporary now begins to have an eternal consequence. Anybody thankful that God invites us into his eternal story? I think for, for many people, this idea of, of heaven uh, many times, I think a lot of evangelical Christians, especially in America, they have a part of the story, but they don't know the, the entire story. And I think we, we really got to know how this thing ends. We really got to understand where it is that we're headed. We got to really understand what we're building for. We're not just showing up on Sunday, going through the motions. We're building towards something. Now, I grew up in a really Pentecostal home. And um, I love my heritage. I've told you about it many, many different times, but I grew up in like services that were scary. You know, like, like I mean it. Like, like there were some preachers that would come to town and I would hide in the back because I was like, they're going, no. You ever met that preacher before? It's like, they look at you and they start calling out stuff, you know? We used to call it, uh, they would read your mail. Rich Wilkerson Jr., stand up. No, no. <laughs> you get, I remember one time we were in this meeting and, and this, this pastor, he called out one of our friends and he said, step, step in the aisle. And this, this kid, you know, he stepped in the aisle and the pastor went over and I, we were sitting over here so I couldn't really see the kid very good. And the pastor went over and he prayed for me and the kid just went down. But from our vantage point, we thought the earth had sucked the kid into the earth. Like, oh my God, God killed Johnny. Like we were all at the altar repenting that day. You know what I'm talking about? Like 
I grew up in, in, in some church and we were taught from a very young age, you know, we used to have these stage plays called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And essentially, like the entire stage play was exactly what it sounds like. It was to scare the hell out of you. Um, that's what they would do. They, they would try to depict hell and depict heaven. And you would get so scared that you'd come down the altar like, I don't want to go to hell. I just want to go to heaven. And I grew up with this teaching that, you know, the Lord's coming back at any moment. So like literally we thought every day that God, God's, he's coming back, he's coming back and we got to be ready. And so I remember one time as a young Pentecostal kid, I got home from school and nobody was there. <laughs> Do you think, you know, and after looking in every bedroom, you just fall on your knees and you just start repent. God, I'm so sorry. He left me behind. <laughs> the troubles of my childhood. Um, but I want to help us today because the teaching is not to scare us. The teaching, once again, is to keep the end in mind. Heaven, listen to me, is not a place for people who are afraid of hell. Heaven is a place for people who love Jesus, who want to be on his mission, that want to be a part of his purpose. And what I've discovered, just in talking to people, being around the church, I've discovered that a lot of people, their thoughts about eternity in the church is they think that they're living the best life they can possibly live, and then one day this life will come to an end, and God will whisk them away up into the clouds, and they will spend eternity in heaven. And that's partly true, but not really what the Bible teaches. It's a shallow viewpoint of the teachings around eternity, because when the Bible begins to teach about eternity, it's not just about heaven, but instead the Bible teaches about new heavens and here we go, a new earth. And this is important that we as a church, we understand this teaching. Heaven, it, great definition is that that's where God's presence most clearly is shown. It's where he dwells right now. I mean, there's no doubt that heaven, I believe, is a place. I believe that God is there right now. Isaiah 66 says that heaven is my throne, God declares that. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter six, he teaches us how to pray. He says, our father who art in heaven. Jesus thought it was a place, so I think it's a place too. Uh, Peter talks about the idea that right now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father in heaven. Heaven is a place but what a lot of believers don't understand is that God's plan and God's mission is not simply to take you to heaven. His plan and mission has always been to join heaven and earth. That he has a new heaven and a new earth. And I want you to know how the story ends because I actually believe that what you believe about the end will impact what you do with where you are right now. Someone say, for the sake of eternity. So I just want to show you like a few scriptures. There's so many scriptures, but I, I, maybe this is new teaching for your eschatology, your study of the last things. Others, you're like, I know this, go deeper. We're just going to try to scratch the surface today because I think this is important that as we get ready to see that we're going to give an offering, which is practical, that we would see the spiritual ramification attached to it. All throughout the Bible, there's not just this teaching that you would be taken away into the cloud somewhere, but instead you see that God has a people and he has a plan in mind that he is building towards something. Let me just show you some scriptures. This is Isaiah the prophet. And this is what Isaiah says, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new 
I'm going to need your participation. And a new earth. And a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. God's building towards something. Look just one chapter over. This is what the Lord says. The Lord says this, Isaiah 66, verse 22. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord. He's building new heavens and a new earth. Let's go to 2 Peter. This is now the New Testament. So we're looking at a prophet. Now we're studying uh, one of Jesus' disciples. And he writes this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. A new earth the home of righteousness. Now, let's go into Revelation now. This is where like, ooh, it gets scary, right? Um, Revelation chapter 21, this is after the judgment, which I wanna talk about in a couple weeks. This is after the judgment. This is the vision that John the Revelator sees. And it's not about clouds in the sky, but rather it's about heaven joining earth. This is what he says, Revelation chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new and a new earth. For the first heaven... And the first earth had passed away. So there is this building of something new. There is this redemption of something that's old. And this old thing is passing away, but this new thing is coming. And look at what he, what he sees. He starts talking about the new Jerusalem, which is not in heaven. It is on the new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Look at Revelation 21, verse 3. We're going to keep going. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Here's where it gets good. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Someone said, thank you, Jesus. There will be no more death. Someone said, amen. No more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Can somebody go ahead and give God a big shout of praise? What we're reading here is good eschatology. It's good study of the last things. It's a good way for us to understand the biblical narrative of what is going to happen in the end. That God isn't just simply taking me out of this place, but rather God is coming to this place to restore and to redeem. Therefore, it changes the way that I live right now. Because my prayer is not, God, get me out of here. My prayer is, God, give me the endurance to be the church. The biblical narrative, the deeper teaching that we need to understand about the end things is that God is joining heaven and earth, that God is redeeming, that we're not just going somewhere, that he, he's, he's coming to us. And to be honest with you, this has always been his original plan. This is truly what he already had in the blueprints. How do we know? Because we go to the very beginning of the story. There we encounter in Genesis 1 and 2, the very start of humanity and creation. And what does God create? God creates this garden known as Eden. And Eden, just so you understand, has always been a picture of paradise. 
Eden has always been the true utopia. Eden has always been a glimpse and a vision for you and I of what heaven on earth looks like. The scripture begins to describe Eden and it tells us how beautiful it was. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve lived there in Eden and God would walk with them in the cool of the day. What are we seeing? We're seeing God's tangible presence, the fullness of his glory face to face with mankind. And the Bible says about humanity, I love this, that they were naked and felt no shame. Just in case you were ever wondering what your original design was, is that we were called to be naked and feel no shame. It is a picture and a description of what humanity looks like when they're actually walking in total freedom. Come on, somebody. I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to preach this to you. I'm going to get you happy here in a moment. Someone say total freedom. Which, by the way, that's what grace is. Grace is total forgiveness, which leads to total freedom. Naked and no shame is this idea that I'm not hiding, I'm not afraid, I am healthy. But what happens? Adam and Eve, they break the only rule that God has and they fall from God's glory. They break his standard and sin enters the equation. And what happens when sin always enters the equation? There are all of these ramifications attached to sin. It's not that we just fall, it's that all of a sudden there's consequences. They feel shame. They quickly notice, I'm naked. Where do they go? They go and they hide, which is one of the funniest stories in the very first three chapters of the book because God comes looking for them and like Adam is like that kid that was always really bad at hiding in hide and go seek. Do you ever have that guy with you? It's like, dude, why do you have a sinus infection? Shut up, you know, like, because <laughs> God goes, where are you? And Adam goes, we're hiding. Like, that's not good hiding, bro. You know, like you, you don't announce that you're hiding. But why are they hiding? They're hiding because they're exposed. They're hiding because they're ashamed. What does sin do? Sin breaks the beautiful plan that God had. Like we just need to get a good idea of what sin is. It's not about just immorality, it's us breaking the plan of God. God was like, yo, I have this beautiful place. It's heaven on earth. I wanna join heaven to earth and I want you to have the fullness of my presence. But there is a standard here to keep, which is trust me and obey me. Don't try to be your own God. I am your only God. But as we break that and as we fall from that, we recognize we're naked. Shame hits our life and what comes with it? Insecurity, fear, worry, perversion. What is it? It's all ramifications and consequences of sin. Now today, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, there is still a humanity that's hiding from God. And just even think about this analogy for a moment in your own life. Like, have you ever like wronged someone and you know that you were wrong, and you never reconciled, you never apologized, you never asked for forgiveness, but then you ran into them at a party? How many know you're not like, hey, good to see you? Instead, you're kind of like, oh, dude, I should have said sorry. Or think about your kids. I got kids, and they do something wrong, and they run away from the scene, and they hide from mom and dad. The beautiful thing about what we discover in the book of Genesis is that as humanity is hiding, you can always see the nature and the character of God because here comes God. They can't get to God, but God comes looking for them. I'm gonna need a little bit of help. Anybody grateful for a God who came and found you right where you are? 
His original plan was heaven on earth. Walk in the garden with me. Enjoy my presence. I am with you. I am your fulfillment. I am your contentment. You see, there's that old song that says, I can't get no satisfaction. That, my friend, is called a result of sin. I just feel dissatisfied. I'm just never happy. I'm just never content. That's because we're dealing with a sinful humanity. God did not hardwire you to be discontent and dissatisfied, but rather we went and tried to drink from another cup and that thing always leaves us dissatisfied. That thing always leaves us hurting. That thing always leaves us hurting. But come on, there is one that says, I have living waters for you, that when you drink of me, you will never thirst again. And his name is Jesus. I want you to see this because this is important. Genesis 1 and 2 is the start of a beautiful plan. Genesis 3, look how quick we screwed it up, you know? Three chapters in, it's like, oh, drama, here we go. Um, Adam and Eve fall from this master plan. Watch this. Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of the Bible. Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible are both announcements of God's goodness and God's original plan. He starts with Eden, and then in Revelation 21, 22, we get a glimpse and a picture of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. It is the announcement of the goodness of God and his plan. Everything in between is God trying to redeem a broken humanity. Everything in between is God trying to clean up that which we did. And so what does he do? He sends his son and he gives us his church. You got to see this today. He sends his son on a rescue mission. Jesus came to redeem you. Jesus came to say, come out of hiding. I forgive you. It's okay. You don't have to hide anymore. I have forgiveness and grace for you. But not just that, I'm going to establish my body on the earth, which is my church. Watch this, because this is really important. As you study the life of Jesus, what you'll discover is that God puts Eden on the earth as a perfect utopia, a paradise, a picture of heaven. Where does Jesus end up having his greatest temptation? It's in another garden. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's what's beautiful. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam passed. Adam in the Eden, he fell. He, he gave in to his flesh. But thank God for Jesus. He shows up in Gethsemane and he does not fall victim to his flesh. Instead, he says, my flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing. But it's better than that. Think about it. John 20, Jesus goes to the grave. He dies, he resurrects. When they get to the grave, remember this, Mary shows up and now Jesus is in his resurrected body. As you study bodies being resurrected, something about them looks different or transformed because nobody recognizes Jesus. Instead, Mary, when she sees Jesus, what does she think? She thinks he's the gardener. But friends, she was right. He is the gardener. 
That the very first person to witness him says, oh my goodness, you look like the gardener. It's because it's the same gardener from Eden. He says, Eden is now back open for business. I came to plant a seed of faith in your life. I came to water a seed of faith in your life. And I came to bring about a harvest. I am the gardener who walks with you in the cool of the day. I wish I could get somebody at Somi, somebody at Everglades Correctional Institution, somebody at City. Give thanks to a God who comes back and says, I'm reopening my original plan. He is the gardener. That's who he is. Because Eden is a picture of heaven and we are leading back to a renewed and restored new earth. And his plan was his son and his plan, here's where you and I come into play, is his church. Twofold. It's Jesus and it's his church. Well, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. I don't know if we're reading the same book. Because it's really hard to love the groom and not appreciate the bride. In fact, it don't, don't work that way in my house. You can't be like, yo, Rich, you the man, but Don Cherie, I don't mess with her. I'm gonna say, homie, we, we don't have a relationship. Because if you want me, you get her. And by the way, vice versa. <laughs> Why? Because what is the church? The church is God's embassy on the earth. I want you to get this. You gotta, you gotta keep the end in mind. You gotta know where we are headed. And some of us were sitting here today and going, man, my life is so difficult right now. My life is so painful right now. My life is so tough. I got bills and these freaking kids and this spouse. How did I get this spouse? And how did I get this job? I just wanna get out of here. God, come, take away one glad morning. I'm gonna fly away. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be whisked away to heaven. Not entirely true. He has placed his church as his embassy on the earth. Why? What is an embassy? An embassy is a place that is put in foreign land that when you step into it is a sovereign spot. That when you walk in, there's different rules. When you walk in, there's different culture. When you walk in, there is different authority. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that you and I, the people of God, we are not to conform to the pattern of this world, but rather we ought to see what we're doing as a mission. We have a spiritual outpost right here in the city of Miami, Florida, and that is to bring heaven down to earth. We know how the story ends, therefore we play out our part. See, everything about God's kingdom is now, not yet. And if you don't like tension, you won't like the faith journey. Because everything about what we believe about the end is already happening right now. Like this moment, like now, like our gathering today. Now God's kingdom is here. Now his plan is happening, but it's not yet complete. It's not yet fulfilled. It's not yet finished. It's now, not yet. It's already come, but it's not yet done. Why does this matter? This matters because until I know the end, what'll happen is, is that I won't understand the weight of my reality. We don't need to pray, God, take me out of here. We need to pray, God, keep me strong. We, we, we don't need to pray, oh, I can't wait. To leave, Lord. No, no, no. You need to pray, God, I can't wait for you to redeem. 
because he's not necessarily coming to whisk you away. You're not going to clouds up in the air. Instead, he is joining his heaven to a brand new earth. Now, I do want to say about this new earth, it, it's supernatural. I'm not like, some of you are like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, I mean, you go read it. Revelation 21, 22, streets of gold, bro, in, in Jerusalem. I, I, there is no sun or moon because his glory is enough for us to see. No weeping, no mourning, joy and purpose. But we're not sitting around all day doing nothing. No, you have a resurrected body. Why would you need a resurrected body if you were just living in heaven? It's because you're not gonna be living in heaven. You're gonna be living on this new earth. That's why in Eden, there was work, right? There was things that Adam and Eve had to do. Remember, Adam had to name all the animals. He starts strong, you know, platypus and rhinoceros and I don't know, giraffe and you know, starfish. And he's like, dog and you know, cat, bee. Homie got tired, bro. Like, that's a letter, dog. That's not, that's not an animal, you know? Bee. Because work was tiring. And in heaven, there will be responsibility and there will be jobs. And you will have purpose. Your purpose will be to give glory to God. That's why when we gather on Sundays, if we're going to really be pastor the church, we don't show up late because we're not showing up for a program. We're showing up to play our part in the present that will show up in eternity. That what we are doing now is a mere reflection of what we will be doing forever. That we come to give glory to the one true God. Keep the end in mind. For your faith to last, you have to keep the end in mind. I know how this story ends. I believe some things about the last days. I believe some things about the future events. And I'm not just trying to get out of here. I'm trying to redeem this place. I'm trying to bring light into the darkness. I'm trying to walk into total freedom. Total freedom that I would trust God that his word, that's what I'm putting my faith in. I'm tired of the hiding. I'm tired of the insecurity. I'm tired of the fear. I'm tired of the bitterness and the offense. I'm tired of every time I'm wronged, I have to wrong you back. No, I have been forgiven, therefore I can forgive. It starts changing what I'm doing. But Rich, you're not perfect. I know it's now, not yet. It's now, not yet. It's, it's how his kingdom works. It's what you and I are doing. I, I know today, um, this might be like for some people, because I love our church. Our church is made up of the most beautiful people. Like I'm telling you what, I love our church. And this might be like a lot for some people. Like maybe you've never heard any kind of teachings on the end times or even about heaven. And so it's just, it's just a start. It's really to try to get you to realize that we're not just getting out of here. It's, it's really about God. I wanna, I wanna be on mission right here, right now today in my reality. But maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know, man. Like we got people in our church that don't even follow Jesus yet. We got people in our church that, are, that, are, that have questions about God, that don't live all the way according to the Bible because they got maybe questions with the Bible. I got a lot of people right now that they love Jesus, but they got questions with the Bible. Let me just tell you, you're welcome to be here. We're so grateful you're here. In fact, we, we built this church with, with you in mind. That was part of what we wanted to do. And so keep coming. Just, hey, just keep coming back. But you, you ought to know that those that get up on this stage on our pastoral team are gonna preach one name, his name is Jesus, and we're gonna to preach to the best of our ability an interpretation of this word for right now today. So I believe the Bible, I'm a, I'm a Bible guy. But I understand in this room that there's some people that are on the journey that you're like, I'm not 
Bible guy yet. I, I'm loving Jesus and I love the community. So, so what? Well, I, I would then try to appeal maybe beyond just the biblical narrative of truth and try to appeal to just truth. That like, do you believe in eternity? Because I think there's good proof to believe in eternity, even without Revelation 21, 22, and even without the story of Jesus. I just wrote a few of them down. I just want you to jot some of this stuff down because maybe you're on the journey today. I just want to encourage you. I think one reason why we can believe in eternity is because, well, matter cannot be destroyed. That's kind of fascinating to me. That matter and energy, which is, makes up any kind of physical thing, that it, it cannot be destroyed is what science now tells us. Instead, it just changes its atomic structure. So when Jesus says, if you believe in me, you shall not die, I don't just have to have faith for that. I can look to science and recognize as they put my body into the earth, the matter of who I am continues to live. Where does it go? What is that? I think it's a proof of eternity. I think this, I think that you're hardwired for eternity. You can go to almost any people group on the earth, people that don't believe in the Bible, people that don't even necessarily believe in God, Yet so many people groups believe in an afterlife. They got different language for it. They got different frameworks for it. Why is that? I believe it's because we are hardwired with eternity. Ecclesiastes chapter three says it this way. He has put eternity in their hearts. That when God formed you and made you, he put eternity inside of you. That's why sometimes every once in a while you can look around and you can kind of get above the smog of the brokenness of humanity and say, something's not right here. I was created for more. And it's not necessarily more like, like a bigger job or a bigger house. It's like, there's something deeper here. There's something significant here. That's why when people die, what do they go looking for? They go looking for hope. How many have come to me that never gave their life to Jesus, that never lived a life obedient to Jesus, but when they have a loved one die, who do they go call? A pastor. What can you tell me about what is to come? What can you tell me about my loved one? Where are they? What's going on? I got these questions. It's because you're hardwired for eternity. But what about just the very word agape? Agape is, is the Greek word for love. I think love, in fact, it's taught about in philosophy is one of the great philosophical arguments for eternity. Like, honestly, like you can't, doesn't make any sense. There is no social utility or, or, or Darwinian explanation or evolutionary idea. Like, how is it that someone could die in the past and now they're dead, but I still love them in the present? If you study evolution or if you study survival of the fittest, that has no benefit to you. If they're dead, they're dead but you've lost someone before and you don't say, I love them. You say, I love them. My grandfather, he passed away, he was my hero. When I talk about him, I don't say, I loved my grandfather. I say, I love Papa. Why, how does it? See, love is immortal. This is, lines up with Song of Solomon when he writes, many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. We can't explain love. We can't articulate love. I don't know why I carry them with me. What does that have to do with survival of the fittest? That makes me weak. That makes me sorrowful. That makes me grieve. But it's a trace of an eternal God at work in our lives. I wrote this last one down. I think this is a fun one. 
I just believe it. I, I believe it. Maybe, maybe, maybe eschatology is not the good on-ramp for you today. <laughs> but maybe this week alone, as you start thinking about your daily life and how you are living, and you hear this theme as a church for the sake of eternity, how come these guys are so serious? And how come they're so radical, bro? Chill out, we're in Miami. Relax, man. Everything's going good. Why are you pushing so hard? Why are you pressing? Maybe my explanation doesn't suffice for you, but maybe, maybe just this thought is, maybe it's because we are a bandwagon humanity. This to me is a great proof of eternity and an afterlife. Bandwagon humanity, what is it? It's that every human being on the earth wants to be associated with winners and not losers. You do, like just, we're hardwired that way. Like, yo, like I want to associate with winners, not losers. Like what's the most sold baseball hat of all time? New York Yankees. Why? Because the New York Yankees win and people want to wear a winning team. You ever notice that like when your team wins, you say, we won. But when your team loses, you say, they lost. Because you don't want to associate with the failure. You don't name drop the losers you know, you name drop the winners you know. I was with so-and-so yesterday. Because you want to be associated with winners. You, you, you want to get on the bandwagon. And this shouldn't surprise us, and this isn't something bad, but rather we have to know who the ultimate winner is. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that death has been swallowed up in victory. And the truth is, is in every heart and every person all over the world, they don't even know, but they are craving for the ultimate winner. His name is God. His name is Jesus Christ. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And I don't know what it is, but I think I'm supposed to be associated with that. I'm supposed to be associated with that. The Greek word for victory is the word Nike. And you ought to know that on every soul of every person stitched on their soul is that swoosh <laughs> that is saying you were born to be victorious. But you've got to realize you can't find victory in your own strength. There is only one. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who paid the price and redeemed us. He redeemed us. So pull up for me 2 Corinthians again, because now it has a little bit more weight. 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. I've got bills. My friend got sick. I lost my job. We can't get pregnant. I'm having a hard time finding peace. Outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, even though I can't see it, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal, not temporary, not, not just for this moment, not just this Sunday, not just this one service. No, no, no. 
in eternal glory, all this pain, all this struggle, all these challenges, this broken humanity, God is saying there's an eternal glory that's coming. Genesis 1 and 2, my plan of my goodness. Genesis 3, fall of humanity. Revelation 21 and 22, I'm coming back and I'm bringing heaven to earth and I will restore and I will redeem. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And this, my friends, is what it means to walk out the faith journey. This, my friends, is what it means to keep the faith. This, my friends, is good eschatology, that I actually believe and know how the story ends. And although I can't see it right now, I put my trust in a God that I have never seen, believing that He is at work. Because in the end, newsflash, we win. In the end, He is victorious. In the end, you will be with Him in glory. In the end, He will redeem and restore this earth. And I'm telling you what, I'm going to keep the end in mind. Because as it gets difficult, as it gets hard, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to love. I'm going to worship. Because I'm bringing heaven down to earth. Come on, we see cancer. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from Vu and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com.